Good to see you again, Brandon. Yes, welcome back, Brandon. Brother Brandon to the branding. (laughs) (laughs) You're now amongst a very illustrious small group of people that have decided to submit to our punishment for a second time. (laughs) Yes. So apart from the Bible, where else did Smitty borrow his story from? (laughs) Where else did he not? Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Let me tell you, Brother Brandon, the official church story. Little 14-year-old Joseph Smith, confused about religion, doesn't know which church to join, wanders down to a nice little grove near his home in upstate New York, says a prayer to God to ask, you know, which church should I join? God and Jesus, come down and say hi. Woo! God and Jesus tell him that the church isn't on the earth at the moment and therefore they want Joseph, when he's old enough, to restore their church for them. A few years later, Joseph has Moroni come and then he goes and sees it's a gold place and then he translated the gold plates and woo, world saved, we've got the Book of Mormon. Yay! (laughs) And of course, everything in the Book of Mormon is the word of God inspired by the Holy Ghost, translated off from the gold plates, 100% original and never before heard of ideas that Joseph Smith came up with all by himself. And we know this is true because the Book of Mormon says it's true. And we prayed about it and we felt good. Yeah, and we got a warm, fuzzy feeling. That's the abridged version of the official story. Brandon, tell us, hmm, what actually happened? Well, it depends on which version you believe. (laughs) And there's been about eight different versions that Smith himself gave. When it comes to the different versions, I guess, he didn't plan too far in ahead, I'm guessing. Like, if he planned his whole story ahead, he could have made it all match up together. But it's almost as if he was just making it up on the fly. Exactly. Like, one of the first ones, he only saw God. He didn't see Jesus. And I think part of that was because he hadn't created a Godhead theory that had them as separate beings. The Trinity was still what he believed. It wasn't until later that he borrowed some of these other ideas even though they weren't adopted as canon by the Roman Catholic Church, did still exist. Again, there was another one where it was just angels, wasn't it? And then eventually it morphed into God and Jesus, then God, Jesus, and angels, I think is the final version they settled on. And the Mormon apologists would be like, oh, you know, memory's not always great. People don't always remember every single detail when they tell a story. But it's like, yeah, the most significant moment in human history. Like, I can understand if he maybe got the wording wrong or the sequence wrong, but to go from just angels, just God, to God and Jesus. So was Smitty making it up as he went along? Oh. Of course. And he was very good at that. If you look back at the incident when he was young that they like to talk about where he had his leg broken. I have never heard of this. Tell me more, Brandon. Tell me more. When Joseph Smith was a young kid, he had some sort of bone infection in his leg that needed to be operated on. Like a specialist doctor had to come across and perform surgery. They didn't have anesthetic. Oh, shit. Really? Yeah. It was 1820. Yeah. So they were trying to get Joseph to drink whiskey to numb the pain. And because he was a good little boy, he was like, no, alcohol is bad. I can't drink alcohol. You'll have to do the surgery without it. And did they? According to the story, yes. That, oh my God. Did bone surgery on this kid with no anesthetic whatsoever. That doesn't seem possible. Mm. But as a result of that, he was laid up in bed for months and, you know, you didn't have anything to do. So many creative types, authors, people like that, they have a childhood where they were laid up in bed or really sickly or something like that. And what do they do to entertain themselves? they start making up stories and things. It was a family that didn't have like a library in their house or anything like that. Pretty much all they had was the Bible and maybe a couple other books. So that's all Joseph Smith had to read during this time. So he would have read the Bible, I guess. That's how people learned how to read. Yeah, they didn't go to school. They read the Bible at home with their family. It must needs be. There were starting to be libraries. We do know that he did borrow various books especially famously The View of the Hebrews. That's one of the books that he more or less plagiarized from. It postulated essentially that the Native Americans were displaced Israelites, a lost tribe of Israel that had somehow like left Jerusalem and come to the Americas and created the pyramids and the society that they'd found here in the Americas. Which is the whole basis of the Book of Mormon. So there were definitely people talking about the ancient Americans coming across from the Middle East before Joseph Smith. This is also the time they're starting to discover like the pyramids in Mesoamerica. And they're like, oh, look, it's a big triangle, just like in Egypt. It must have been made by the same people. Yeah. 
You know, two sets of people across the other side of the world couldn't have figured out that stacking bricks on top of each other can make a structure. <laughs> so, you know, someone from the Middle East obviously made it over to America and came up with that one. Mormonism didn't develop in just a bubble. There's all this other context that these things are just starting to become widespread, wide known. And it captured a lot of people's imagination as to, hey, what are these people here? I want to go back to clarify Joseph Smith's education. We just read this in the Book of Mormon where he predicted his own existence in Second Nephi. The whole, a man who is not learned will receive this work. So the church liked to make him out as this innocent, uneducated little farm boy who couldn't possibly have come up with these ideas himself because he had very little education and hadn't been around much. But as we're saying, although he didn't do much formal school, which nobody at that time did, he went to a lot of churches. He had access to a lot of books. So he was learning these things and reading these things. And obviously he had a fascination with religion. So he was seeking these things out. And not just religion, but like mysticism too. <laughs> like magic stones. Yeah. <laughs> well, that whole, what's called right-hand path magic, frontier magic, folk magic, divining rods, especially. D. Michael Quinn, one of the September 6th, wrote probably the best treatment of this whole thing in Mormonism and the magical worldview and got excommunicated for that. Joseph Smith, around 14, started sharing the first vision stories. Why did he really dive into this and chase this, do you think? Especially as a young teenager. I mean, you think a 14, 15-year-old kid isn't thinking, I want to start a religion and change the world. What do you think this was all coming from? I don't know. I wanted to change the world when I was 14. I think teenagers are pretty idealistic. You got to go back to the context. You've got all these revival meetings. We talked about the Erie Canal coming through, tent revivals. There's all of this fervor going on about religion and what's God planning for us and you need to join this church and we need to clean up these roughneck guys that are building this canal and we need to make everything better. That's the solution. They just wanted to make America great again. (laughs) (laughs) They were making it great the first time. All right. Yes, yes. So a couple hundred years later, Donald Trump could make it great again. Yeah. All right, so let's look at the timeline then. So around 14, first vision story, broken leg. Where do we go from there? Where, at what stage does he start then talking about golden plates and angels and all this sort of stuff? It wasn't until he was like 18-ish mm. because he'd had his treasure hunting days. So the gold book and all that stuff was part of that. But again, if you pressed any of the three witnesses or whatever, Martin Harris actually himself, who I'm actually related to. Oh, what? Yeah, long story, but... It seems like all Mormons are related to all others. Short version of that story, Martin Harris came across the plains to Utah later on with the Mormons, and he ended up in a place called Clarkston, Utah, which is the closest town is Logan, Utah, home of Utah State University. It's just this little podunk little farm community, but my mom's family's from up there. The gene pool there is fairly shallow. <laughs> and like it's a waiting pool. There might be a little moss in it too. Ooh. So he ended up there and like that's where he's buried. Oh, is it? So like my grandparents are buried like maybe a hundred yards from Martin Harris. Wow. Quick little sidebar. Okay, Martin Harris. Okay, so the church had this video that they put out about the uh, the three witnesses, you know, who we've spoken about never actually signed the document at the start of the Book of Mormon, like, at all. <laughs> and I think Martin Harris... He said he only saw them with his spiritual eyes. He never admitted to actually holding physical gold plates. He saw them with his spiritual eyes. I didn't know he went to Utah afterwards. I thought he stayed kind of in the eastern states. Because he never sort of went back to the church, though, did he? He did, actually. Oh, did he? Okay. Because he was someone who kind of chased a lot of different prophets and churches around the place. Yeah, he did. Before and after Joseph Smith, he seemed obsessed with wanting to find God's true prophet in America, and he gave a lot of money to a lot of different religions, didn't he? He did. Yeah, bankrupted himself with Joseph Smith. I'm not surprised Lucy Harris was pissed, quite frankly. (laughs) Yeah, by the time Joseph Smith had come along, Martin Harris had already given, like, a lot of money to a lot of different prophets and religions. Yeah, I can only imagine she's like, Not this shit again. Yeah, fuck, Martin, will you cut it out? Did she ever leave him? I think they eventually did, or I don't know. I know she did not come with him to Utah. Okay. Right. right. See, smart Lucy. I'd love to know where Lucy ended up. So in between the first vision and the the, uh, Moroni thing, we mentioned the uh, the gold digging, these magic stones that he had. And this is a a part of the story that the Mormons kind of glaze over and, you know, kind of pretend didn't happen. But there's overwhelming evidence that he was out 
treasure hunting with these seer stones. The one that they've had in their archives that Brigham Young inherited before they finally released the photo a few years ago. The last time it had been seen in public, it was laid on the altar of the St. George Temple when it was dedicated in like the 1880s or something. What blew me away with that was the admission that he did use the rocks because when I grew up, it was all denial. No, there were no stones. He was reading only on the Urim and Thummim straight off the gold plates. Whereas releasing this photo of this rock, they're admitting, okay, yes, he did have the hat with the stones in it. I think they've changed it now to say, oh, he translated it through various means. He didn't always have access to the plates. How do you get rocks turned into words, though? Like, how does that work? Magic. Yeah. (laughs) I don't get it. Quite literally, it was a folk magic thing. He literally believed he had magic rocks. Yeah. Do we, do we know where we where he found them? What's what's the story behind these seer stones that he had? The one that they showed the photo of, he found while he was digging a well, which again comes back to the divining rod thing too. One of the main things people still use divining rods for. I know. Trying to find water. If you want to dig a well, that's one of the first things normal people do. You get a diviner out to see where to dig your well. This is a common thing. And sometimes they're right. And, and sometimes, sometimes they're you're wrong. Like, <laughs> like my coworker who's digging a well for his new house. So far, they've drilled like 2,000 feet down and still have not hit water where the diviner said they were going to hit water at. Yeah. And he's like 50 grand into it now. Jesus. I remember my granddad showed me how to divine for where water was. He had like these two rods. They move in and out. It's all just suggestion, you know. But let's face facts here. Joseph Smith wasn't looking for water with these stones. He claimed that they could lead him to buried treasure. But sometimes he did use them for water. That's why he was digging a well when he found the seer stone. I can't remember the chronology, but he did end up actually going to court for claiming that that he used these seer stones for treasure and things like that, didn't he? Like He was using them for years before he even started telling people about the gold plate story. Why would you go to court for that? I don't get it. Somebody sued him for not finding treasure. Yeah, he was ripping people off. So he'd tell people he could find treasure wherever it was, and he'd get like a down payment on them to go and search for it with the promise of then once he found it, split the proceeds between them and basically you take the money not find the treasure and so you know people were you know taking him to court for fraud or whatever and he was convicted too so that's what they mean when they say treasure hunting days he was actually taking people's money and not finding treasure yeah right shows again though what a dynamic person he was because i mean this is a kid who's only 15 16 17 years old and he's already hustling people yeah and he's so convincing in his story that he can get grown adult men to believe him and give him large amounts of money. I mean, although he was an arsehole, credit where it's due, he clearly had charisma and a good aura about him that he was able to earn people's trust and convince them of his stories. Classic con man, I guess. So Brandon, let's discuss then the true origins of the Book of Mormon. Obviously, he didn't make it up off the top of his head. So what was the resource material that he would have had access to to put this thing together? View of the Hebrews was one, but I really like the Sidney Rigdon theory that it was largely from Sidney Rigdon that they got most of these ideas from. He was a weird dude. Sidney Rigdon had been working, at, among other places, at a printing press where they had printed that View of the Hebrews book. All right, so the Moroni story with the gold plates. It was about age 18, I think, that he apparently encountered Moroni for the first time. And then it was age 19 and then age 20, he was finally allowed to take the golden plates away. But other than the fact that the plates obviously never actually fucking existed. (laughs) Is there any backstory to where Moroni came from? I'm not sure about Moroni, but I know when he supposedly got the plates one of the times, they had to go at night and they had to dress all in black and he was really secretive about it. He married Emma during this period didn't he? Yeah. First year she wasn't there, but then the second year she was or something. So like he married her in between. I'd like to get your thoughts on Emma because on the one hand you're like, she must have believed him to go along with this. But then there's stories like this one where she supposedly went with him to this site. Do you think that she was complicit or what? do you think she was just very naive and just believed her husband? She must have to have believed it to have been able to go along with the polygamy thing. She wasn't really good with the polygamy thing though. But she sort of grinned and yeah. Well, she did participate in some of the marriages, but then after Joseph died, she told her sons to her dying breath that Joseph was not a polygamist. Yeah, and Brigham started. Yeah, yeah, we know she was never on board with it, but she allowed it to happen at the time. Well, what else could she do? <laughs> 
Quite literally. I mean, she'd been disowned by her family. You think, though, at any point, though, if she caught on that Joseph was lying, you'd think she could have gone back to her family and said, sorry, you were right, I was wrong. And Maybe her father died. Joseph had the power to, you know, do some bad things to her. Look at who one of the very first converts to the church was Joseph's cousin, a guy named Oren Porter Rockwell. Have you ever heard of him? I've heard some stories. He was Joseph Smith's bodyguard most of his life, wasn't he? Yeah. Oren Porter Rockwell was basically Joseph's hired gun. He for sure murdered multiple people. Was that a Joseph's request, though, or was that... Uh... Yeah, probably, sometimes, maybe. He also followed Brigham Young and came to Utah, and for sure, that Brigham Young's instance did. Totally an interesting dude, but he's like Mr. Wild West, you know, that guy that walks down at high noon and has a shootout with somebody, like in a Western. Tell us about some of the people that he murdered. Liberty Boggs, the governor of Missouri who signed the extermination order saying that the Mormons needed to leave the state of Missouri, was murdered. Somebody shot him. And the prime suspect was Orrin Porter Rockwell. What I'm trying to understand that you might be able to help with is when Joseph Smith started teaching these stories, as we've established, he wasn't the first one to come up with some of these ideas. But in your opinion, why do you think it is that 200 years later, his church is still around, where a lot of the other religions at the time that were teaching the same thing didn't gain the same sort of traction? I think the biggest thing was that he actually kind of had a succession idea. I mean, it almost fell apart coming out of Nauvoo after Joseph died. But the fact that Brigham Young could pick up the pieces and move it to Utah and at least assume that mantle, Brigham was not even at first claiming to be the prophet. He did claim leadership, though, wasn't he? Because it was Joseph did, did set up the hierarchy and be like, after the prophet goes, the, the president of the Quorum of the Twelve is the stand-in. They didn't officially say there would be another prophet. It was just that the Quorum of the Twelve was going to lead. But he did have a lot of leadership. I mean, the Council of Fifty was something I find extremely interesting. So talk us through that. 50 men that Joseph Smith chose in Nauvoo, that their job was to organize a secular government for after the second coming of Jesus Christ. Because Jesus can't do it himself. Well, yeah, Jesus, he'd be the head, but you still need administrators and some kind of a apparatus. And so they came up with a lot of interesting ideas. Some of their meeting minutes are available. And some of the stuff was like super secret. I had a friend in grad school that was studying the Council of 50. His problem was that half of the stuff that people said actually happened, like nobody wrote anything down because it was in like super secret special session. We know that they did take as a model the United States Constitution. Brigham Young, among others, had been anointed as a king and priest to the nations. They kind of already had a government planned, if not even exactly organized, but very much planned. Also, Nauvoo had been ruled more or less as an independent kingdom, for lack of a better word. Absolutely. I mean, the state of Illinois more or less let them do whatever the hell they wanted, to the point that the Nauvoo Legion was like the largest militia in the state. Joseph Smith had appointed himself as a lieutenant general, a three-star general, over the Nauvoo Legion. And at that time, Nauvoo was bigger than Chicago. It was the biggest city in Illinois. All right. Well, let, let's, uh, where were we up to? Let, back in the Joseph Smith story, so so he set up the church. He's managed to, to start getting people coming along. And he has to keep moving the church because all along he's defrauding people and he's trying to just stay one step ahead of his creditors. The church claims they were driven from city to city because people objected to their religion and it was all persecution and discrimination and everything like that. But the truth is it wasn't the religious practicing that they had issues with. It was Joseph Smith being a con man and a fraud and ripping people off, wasn't it? That was the, the main genesis behind it. Yeah. The Bank of Kirtland being the best example. Mm. Tell us about that. The Joseph Smith dodgy dealings during his life that a lot of Mormons <laughs> don't know about. They get to the Kirtland area and they're starting to build the temple. It's right outside of Cleveland, Ohio. It's starting to be a boom town. Real estate prices are starting to dramatically increase. Banks in the United States back then were kind of different than what they are now. And money was a different kind of thing. They would issue gold certificates or silver certificates. So you would go and you would deposit your precious metal in a bank and they would write a certificate that you could use as cash. You could trade that to people and at any time, somebody could take that to the bank and request that amount of money in gold or silver, usually gold. 
And the banks had to have physical gold on hand in order to cover these notes. And they had to have approval from the state. The state would review that they, in fact, did have enough gold on hand to cover the things that they've got out. They thought they were going to have this bank in Kirtland, that they were more or less banking on that the land values would continue to increase and that they could, you know, pay off the previous investors with the proceeds of the later investors. A classic Ponzi scheme. They had some gold, but they didn't have near enough. So what they ended up doing was they had these chests full of sand and they'd have gold just on top of it. So it looked like it was a chest full of gold coins. But the state was like, you don't have enough gold. You don't have enough backing for this bank. And so the state denied their application. But they'd already bought the printing plate for the bills that they were going to issue. And it said the Kirtland Banking Society. They added the Kirtland Anti-Banking Society because if they did that, then now it's not an actual bank anymore because we're not calling it a bank, even though it does everything that a bank does. And so by doing that, they're not violating state law by, you know, lending money and acting and operating as a bank because they never got their charter from the state. This whole thing, just like any Ponzi scheme, collapses because it was only based on the idea that land values would continue to increase. And eventually you run out of increasing land values and it collapsed. And there's all these people that gave money into this bank, Mormon and non-Mormon alike. And all of a sudden, now their money's gone. And where did it go? Interesting question. Basically into Joseph's pocket. That's another constant claim by the church, though, is that Joseph was a poor man, struggled financially his whole life and gave to the church. Other people supported him, but he actually wasn't as bad as how they make it out, was he? His personal finances were basically the church's finances. And as bad as Joseph Smith was with that, Brigham Young was worse. Well, you basically got two people with no finance or banking background trying to run a bank. (laughs) Yeah, that's all it was. But I mean, Zion Bank actually really did end up being like a legit bank and still is. Yeah, that's because eventually they got people who understood finance to look after it. Yeah. They get to Utah, Brigham Young tried to set up their United Order thing. (laughs) It was communism, that's what it was. No, it was consecration. Consecrationism. Consecration. If you didn't sign everything over, like your business over to that collective, Zion Cooperative Mercantile Incorporated, ZCMI, then Brigham Young would excommunicate you. Really? Oh, yeah. There was a whole class of people that didn't want to sign their stores over, led by John Godby was the guy's name. They were called the Godbyites. So aside from the banking, we know that Joseph Smith was constantly in trouble with the law for dodgy dealings and everything. What other stuff was he constantly in trouble for? I know he was arrested in Missouri at some point, but Missouri was an interesting thing because most of the early settlers in Missouri never gained idle to their land. So essentially they just like set up there, hey, this is my land, and but they never paid for it. They never gained title to it. It was not even formally surveyed. And, you know, according to the Northwest Ordinance at 1763, which is how the United States does their surveys, they would divide them into one mile square townships and then like subdivided into 40 acre plots. And then some of those plots were designated to fund the local schools and things like that. So anyway, the Mormons come into Missouri and they start buying the land and gaining legal title to this land. And the people that were living on this land claimed squatters' rights when the Mormons tried to kick them off the land because, hey, guess what? I own this and you don't. It caused major problems. Plus, the Mormons were also generally from like New England and at the time anti-slavery. And the settlers in Missouri at the time were largely Southerners and pro-slavery. Missouri was a slave state and that caused a lot of friction as well. So these settlers are like all these new people kick me off the land and then they don't think anybody should own slaves and it caused friction. And this is on the western side of Missouri, so it borders Kansas. This is at the same time you start having bleed Kansas, where they left the question of whether Kansas would be a slave state up to the people and they were going to have a big thing. And so all these people flooded in, started fighting each other. Just atrocities. People like hacked to death with swords because they either believed in slavery or not. It was before the American Civil War. I mean, they're in the hotbed of this. So this sounds like a good time to bring this up. From what I believe, Brigham Young was very openly racist. Joseph Smith, what was his stance? I've never been completely clear on it. There is some indication that at some time he did work 
ordain a couple of black people to the priesthood. But then Brigham Young was dead set against it. Yeah. I heard a couple of stories. Joseph Smith apparently sort of adopted a pair of African-American twins. I don't think anybody in that time period that was white viewed black people as equal. So you can't really say that Joseph thought of them that way. But he never really said anything about slavery or any of that stuff, did he, sir? Yeah, he never really said much of anything. Except he did write the Book of Mormon or grabbed it from somewhere else, and it says some pretty nasty things about black people. Yeah. Well, sort of. It says that it was a punishment for their sin, but... I mean, similar things are in the Bible. See, again, that goes back to the whole Cain and Abel thing. It's in the Bible too, you know, Cain cursed with black skin. But it isn't in the Bible. We've been over that, Paul. That's not what it says in the Bible. It uses different words. Settle this argument out, uh, uh, actually, Brandon. What, what, what's your recollection? I, I, my, I don't know whether this was just a Mormon doctrine or whatever, but that's what I was always taught anyway, is black people were cursed because of Cain. And yet none of my denominations ever did. The mark of Cain wasn't being turned black. It was just the mark of Cain. We don't know what it was. Be the tiebreaker on, <laughs> on, on this one, Brandon. I've heard the same as you, Paul. Doesn't necessarily mean it's right. It just means that's what we were taught growing up. Yeah, it's, uh, yeah. maybe it's just the Mormon justification for racism rather than other religions' justification. I don't know, but... Uh, Either way, Joseph, as far as I can tell, was pretty ambivalent. Didn't really care one way or another. Yeah. <laughs> he just wanted the money. There were black members of the church. Supposedly, he did ordain a couple to the priesthood. But Mormonism's always been pretty lily white anyway. Uh, it's one of the, the whitest religions you could possibly come across. So. Well, that's why Mormons are like the dullest people you'll ever meet. Yeah, yeah. And it's funny how unaware of how dull they really are. Yeah. Completely blissfully yeah, unaware yeah. of how dull they are. Yeah, yep. Yeah, and to them, it's all exciting and wonderful and, and, and happy. Then people from the outside look at them going, you guys are just really, really boring. My favorite youth activity as a Mormon. Ice blocking. Ice blocking? What's that? Oh, what's that? During the summer, since there's no snow, you go buy from the grocery store, like, the big blocks of ice, and you sit on those chunks of ice and slide down the grass on a hill, like at the park. Ah, uh, okay. I guess that could be fun. Yeah. Sliding down a hill's fun. You've probably never lived somewhere where you can get a block of ice big enough to slide down a hill on. <laughs> no! <laughs> Not many places in Australia where we'd be able to do that. I've never heard of that before, but to be honest, that actually sounds kind of cool. I'd be up for that. You know what, Brandon? I kind of want to do that now. I want to find a big hill and a huge block of ice. We'll go and put an esky in the walk-in freezer in some supermarket, whip it out and just slide down a mountain. Sounds fun. Cool. But they won't do this while they're drinking beer, you know, yeah. like normal uh, people. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's uh, not as fun without do the beer involved. cold sober. Yeah, uh. yeah. Yes. Hey, I've got a question about something you were about to say earlier. You were talking about the first bank that Smitty put together, and you said, well, he used it to fund. What did he use it to fund? Largely, he used it to fund the building of the Kirtland Temple. Okay. Was this the first temple that was built? Yes. Does it still exist now? Yes, the building's still there. But the, the church doesn't actually own it, though, or do they now? Uh, they may have been able to finally buy it, I think. Yeah, I heard something For about a that. long time, it was owned by the Reorganized Church of Jesus Christ, Latter-day Saints. They still exist, but yeah, they've changed their name a couple of times now. But that was the strand of Mormonism that believed it was meant to be like a monarchy, you know, like Joseph Smith's descendants should be in charge. Uh, well, sort of, but then... You look at their evolution and it's like, now they're basically just mainline boring Protestants. Well, isn't that because they reached a point where there were no men to take over the leadership that were descendants of Joseph Smith? Is that right? And so they decided that women could get the priesthood? And They've sort of found some of that. Yeah, women can get the priesthood. Gays can get married. It's like they still have the Book of Mormon. Oh, they do? They do. <laughs> their subsequent prophets added sections to the Doctrine and Covenants. Yeah. Oh, really? Mm. Oh, I have to check this out. It's actually like Mormonism, like, but cool. <laughs> like, if you like Mormonism, but you think that gay people should get married, a lot of people land there after they leave Mormonism. Well, that's because their leadership, I guess, sort of 20, 30 years ago, realized that they had to change to stay possible. Whereas the more, the mainstream Mormonism takes a lot longer before they uh, start changing to the social norms and everything like that. Well, even more than 30 years ago, I mean, they've been pretty progressive even 
way before that. Let's discuss then one of the key hot button topics of Mormonism and Joseph Smith, of course, the whole polygamy thing. So official Mormon story is, you know, an angel came down to Joseph Smith and said, God says that you got to, that men need to have more than one wife. Joseph's like, no, no, I couldn't possibly do that. And he kept putting it off and putting it off until an angel with a sword came down. Angel with a sword. (laughs) I got my sword. (laughs) It takes two hands. Of course. Definitely takes two hands. I've made jokes about it being a flaming sword many times. Ah, uh, his sword was definitely flaming, Paul. You might want to go get a shot of penicillin. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 <laughs> but, but, yeah but let's talk about that because I think Joseph Smith never actually said flaming, did he? He just said an angel with a drawn sword. The flaming, I'm not sure where that came from. Somewhere a along drawn the... sword? Oh. Yeah. Uh, the flaming sword, I think, was the angel that guards the Garden of Eden. Ah, that's the one. So I might have morphed those two together at some point. But anyway, so Joseph Smith reluctantly... Ah, oh, reluctantly. ...gets into polygamy... You know, knowing that if he doesn't get into polygamy, not only will he be killed physically, he'll be killed spiritually, and he literally just will not exist anymore. Then, of course, you know, he has to convince them or others. A lot of the church apologists have different things for this. I know there were some in the church who said, yes, he did it, but he never actually had sex with them. It was all a financial care thing. Yeah. There are some that were like, yeah, there were more women than men in the church at the time, so they had to do polygamy to make sure all the women looked after. Which was bullshit. Was that bullshit, was it? Oh, for sure. I thought there were more women than men. At least by the time they got into Utah, if you look at census data, Utah was a normal population with a more or less equal share of men and women. But not in the church. Well, as far as population-wise. As population in the state, yeah. But not in the church. Yeah, there wasn't enough gender disparity within the church to use the whole there's not enough men to marry our women argument. There were definitely enough men to marry women. No, 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 Paul. You're talking about two different things. You're talking about the population of Utah and you're talking about a church. All churches have more women in them, even now. This is not an unknown thing. The period we're talking about in Utah, though, that's when everybody... Everybody was Mormon, more or less. Yeah, so the church numbers and the state numbers are one and the same at this time period that we're talking about. Okay. But when the... All when right. they first got there. All right. Yeah. But, but, but I, I want to get into Joseph Smith getting into it to begin with. So, Yeah, the best thing to look at is his first plural wife, Fanny Alger. And it was not uncommon for men of some means, like him, to bring in a girl to help with the housework, you know, 14, 15, 16 years old. The other thing that was extremely common with that is that the man of the house would get involved with this young woman. Oliver Cowdery did this, for which Joseph berated him and excommunicated him. Ah, but then he thought it was a good idea. What happened? His balls finally dropped? Well, he finally got his little helper girl and he had a thing for her. One thing led to another he hooked up with her whether it was a revelation or not oh it was a revelation yes my understanding is he was caught in the barn with fanny elga getting it on and then after that he was like oh uh, actually god told me we should have more than one wife at which point oliver cowdery lost his epic shit and started calling Joseph a fallen prophet, basically never reconciled with Joseph ever again. Because, you know, it's okay for Joseph to do it, but it's not okay for me to do it. Yeah, yeah. That's because Joseph got the revelation and, you know, God told him he could. And Oliver didn't. Then eventually Joseph got revelation saying that other men couldn't. If Oliver had stuck around a little bit longer, he would have had his chance. He probably would have. What was the legal marrying age back then? Because this is something else that the church kind of uses. You know, Fanny Alga was only about 13, 14 years old and the church is like, oh, you know, at that time it wasn't uncommon for children of that age to get married and stuff. Her age seems to get younger and younger with every person you talk to. I bet she wasn't 13. I think she was like 15. 15 maybe. Okay. All right. There you go, Paul. You can't just keep lowering it and lowering Well, it we're still talking about an underage woman. The youngest one that he had was 14. So, yeah, that wasn't funny, Alga. That wasn't another one. But, but any, anyway, what was the legal marrying age around the time? It varied by state. Each state determines their own. It wasn't uncommon for 14-year-olds to marry. However, they would usually marry somebody, you know, 14, 15, 16, something like that. They wouldn't marry somebody that was 40, and especially where that guy had a living wife. Childbirth was so dangerous, a lot of guys would go through four or five or six wives during their lifetime just because their wives died so early. But again, that's not the case with Joseph Smith, though. He All of his wives were alive and well, and he just kept marrying them and, and having sex with them just because he could. There are no children that resulted. One of his wives claimed to her daughter that she was Joseph Smith's daughter, but DNA testing proved that to be wrong. The guy that was kind of Joseph Smith's second-in-command by the time you get to Nauvoo was a man named John C. Bennett. We talked about him last time. Yeah, yeah, the doctor. 
So John C. Bennett was, among other things, an abortionist. It's a bit more circumstantial evidence, isn't it? There's nothing sort of set in concrete, but it is rumoured that Joseph arranged for abortions for, for his wives because, you know, they didn't have contraception back then. So if you're having sex, you're going to be knocking people up. And abortion was extremely illegal. Oh, was it? Yes. Yeah, there's speculation, there's some circumstantial evidence, but there's nothing solid to say he definitely ordered abortions, though, is there? So what's the circumstantial evidence, then, that gets used? John C. Bennett had been charged with providing abortions in various times. The guy was a doctor. He had been charged with it. He had done it. they just never been able to prove that he did it for Joseph. Mm. So what, he had one charge of it where they dropped or was he convicted and did he spend any time for that? I can't remember. So the other thing was they're in U- they're in Nauvoo, which at the time was all Mormon population and Joseph Smith was in charge and they pretty much made their own laws, their own charters, you know, their, their, their own stuff. So they, they were operating outside of state and federal law, basically, which you could do back then if you start your own town yeah, and be like, yeah, this is how of, we're going to run it. Yeah, that's what those charter, those city charters would allow them to do. That's why he could have his own army. Yeah. Accounts vary on how many wives he had all up, wasn't there? It's anywhere from, you know, 30 to 40 to... 44 yeah, or something, something like that. I believe Todd Compton. Which is, again, it's another Mormon apologist argument that actually absolutely cracks me up when I see it. I can't remember where it was, but I read I read an article that was debunking the whole polygamy thing and that, you know, and they're like, oh, those who mock Joseph Smith said he had 44 wives, but the truth is he only had 33. They're, you know, therefore those against Joseph Smith are wrong and lying. And I'm like... 30, 40, does it really fucking matter? (laughs) And if you look at the one that said the 44 number, if you read that book, I think that's In Sacred Loneliness by Todd Compton. Yeah, I think so. And he says the ones that are like, yes, there's like evidence and the ones that it was, this was rumored to have happened. And he's very clear about it. Missouri was where Joseph had the Fanny Alger thing. But then shortly after that, then they had the whole Missouri driven out. And then they're in Nauvoo. And Nauvoo's where polygamy really took hold. So, yeah, and then the, the church's, again, official standpoint is, you know, Joseph Smith was killed as a martyr, you know, mainly because of, and then the saints were driven out because of their beliefs and their practicing polygamy and everything like that. But it wasn't really their religious beliefs that caused them to be driven out, wasn't it? It was Joseph Smith's illegal activity and the church's illegal activity that let them be driven out. Nauvoo was like a territory unto itself. They had, in many ways, more power than even the state governor. So I could understand why neighbors were like, you guys are kind of getting a little scary because you guys have your own army and, you know, more and more of you guys are coming. You're all ending up right here. And this is getting a little weird. (laughs) It'd be like being a neighbor to Jim Jones in Jonestown. Who's Jim Jones and who's Jonestown? He's just making up a random name. I am not making up random names. That was back in Oh, is that an actual person? Yeah, Jonestown, where they all drank the strychnine Kool-Aid and died in, like, the 80s in Guyana. Uh, So a doomsday cult. Yeah, modern cult, more modern cult. Oh, look, I can understand wanting to end it all. Life's pretty shit, isn't it? (laughs) But can you imagine living next to that, though? Yeah, that's a bit depressing. Oh. You'd be a little concerned about the neighbors too. <laughs> yeah, but 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 again, again, you know, the Mormons claim they had to go from Nauvoo to Salt Lake because of religious persecution, and they were being driven out. But it was it, at the end of the day, it was nothing to do with their religious beliefs, was it? No, it was. Yeah. It was all about polygamy. Really? Yep. Because I thought that polygamy wasn't big until much later. No, no, it started in Nauvoo, and then obviously once they were in Salt Lake City all on their own in isolation, they could do whatever the fuck they wanted, and then it just skyrocketed from there. And, you know, every man in the church was pretty much, yeah, you know, multiple wives and everything like that. The other question I've got is if he had a militia, how was he able to be caught by the authorities and killed by someone? This is an interesting one because, again, the official church line is he ordered them to stand down and he gave himself up voluntarily. Is that actually what happened in this case? Well, he did, yeah. So the reason why he was even arrested in the first place Polygamy was kind of weird, like it was an open kind of secret that most people, at least up in the higher level kind of thing, knew what was going on. A lot of them were starting to practice it themselves. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, my recollection is in the early days, and again, this might just be the Mormon apologist spin on it, but I believe it was only men who Joseph Smith gave permission to practice it could practice yes. it. Oh, it was a very, very small circle. It was, uh, yeah, it was only the highest up church leaders. And then Bennett was denied being part of it. Bennett had propositioned, I think it was Parley P. Pratt's wife. Mm. 
who Joseph Smith had already propositioned himself, incidentally. Yeah. <laughs> she must have been pretty hard. And that's where their big falling out, and Joseph Smith kicked out Bennett. And Bennett started telling people that, hey, they're doing polygamy. One of these guys that Bennett talked to printed a thing called the Nauvoo Expositor, a newspaper that said, hey, guess what? Joseph a polygamist and this is what they're doing. Yeah, and it was basically just telling the truth. Yeah, and Joseph flipped the fuck out and he ordered his militia to go not only round up all these papers and destroy them, but to physically destroy the printing press they were printed on, which was a step too far. Yeah, the irony there is the same thing was done to the church in the early days when they were trying to print the Book of Mormon. A mob went into the printing house where the Book of Mormon was being printed and destroyed the printing press and all, and all copies of the book. You know, and again, the church was crying persecution and look, look what they're doing to us yet here a few years later at Nauvoo Joseph Smith is doing the exact same thing yeah and so he was actually under charges of that that's why they arrested him because freedom of the press was actually taken a lot more literally back then and you know destroying the press was a big damn deal mm. and that's why he was under arrest and taken to the Carthage jail. So did he order them to stand down? Like, just, I'll oh, let them take me away. It's all okay. Yeah. Why do you think that was? Was it because he was trying to do the right thing? Did he think he'd be let go again? I think he thought he was just above the law. Yeah, because he'd been, he'd been let go so many times before that, yeah. That he could smooth all this out. If it would have came to the court case, he probably would have been. Remember those tapes by uh, Truman Madsen where he talked about the history and the life of Joseph Smith? I've never really listened to them. I, I listened to them a lot on my mission. And one of the stories he, he told at the end of this thing was apparently some of his final things was he told Emma to make sure he, she raised his kids right. And, you know, he said, I'm going off like a lamb to the slaughter. And, you know, he talked about how he knew he was going to be killed. Ah, oh, bullshit. Do you think that was really the case, or is that something Mormons have kind of crowbarred into there after the fact? Crowbarred? Yeah, either way. Yeah, yeah. I don't think he did plan on being killed. I, I, I don't think he saw it that way, but the, the church folklore is that he was willingly going to be slaughtered because he knew that it, it, he had to do that or something. I think that he knew he was in deep shit and might be going to prison, but I don't think he quite thought that he was going to be killed. And he'd been to prison before. I mean, he'd been thrown in jail multiple times. Because he even wrote large sections of the Doctor Doctrine and Covenants while in jail, so, you know. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah, the Liberty Jail in Missouri. That's probably why it got written. He was bored. Yeah. There's some famous Mormon artworks that shows him in this Liberty Jail being, you know, very mistreated and disheveled and everything like that. Now, here's a question for you. Does the Doctrine of Covenants sound like it has a different voice than the Book of Mormon? Yeah, definitely. And is that voice... The lack of Sidney Rigdon. I think that that would be a very big part of it, yeah. Joseph Smith used a little bit more contemporary language in the Doctrine and Covenants because it was meant to be modern-day revelation. Would you like to read some of this silly book with us, maybe? Yeah, let's do the reading. Because you haven't done that with us yet. Which chapter are we doing? Chapter 29 of Second Nephi. There it is. Okay. But behold, there shall be many hyphen at that day when I shall proceed to do a marvellous work among them that I may remember my covenants which I have made unto the children of men, but not women, that I may set my hand again the second time to recover my people, which are of the house of Israel. Oh, he still hasn't finished the sentence. That's the end of the verse, but he's got a semen colon there. Oh, so that means technically two verses are going to be the one sentence. Yes. <laughs> verse no, two. No, three. Three. Oh, right. my God. Oh, no, you're right. Oh, that's insane. <laughs> All right, well, come on, sister, finish the sentence. Verse two, and also that I may remember the promises which I have made unto thee, Nephi, and also unto thy father, that I would remember your seed. Oh, he would love to remember your seed. And that the words of your seed, oh, your seed speaks now. Oh, it's very talented. Should proceed forth out of your loins. No, that's a joke. Forth out of my mouth. Wow! Unto your oh, hey, seed. That's all right. Wow, it's going into his mouth and then back yeah. unto the seed. Mm. And my words shall hiss. <laughs> his snake. <laughs> hiss forth. <laughs> oh my God, hiss forth unto the ends of the earth. For a standard unto my people, which are of the house of Israel. Semen colon, verse three. And because my words shall hiss 
henceforth many of the Gentiles shall say, A Bible! A Bible! We have got a Bible! And there cannot be any more Bible! What the fuck is he talking about? Well, again, remember in the last in the last chapter where you spoke about Joseph Smith's self-fulfilling prophecies in, in the Book of Nephi, where he's basically talking about himself. So here he's talking about the Book of Mormon. Yeah, he's talking about the Book of Mormon as being a second Bible, and people saying, well, I've already got a Bible, why do I need more? <laughs> so again, it's Joseph Smith using the Book of Mormon to predict itself. <laughs> Take it away, Brandon. Thus saith the Lord God, O fools, they shall have a Bible, and it shall proceed forth from the Jews, mine ancient covenant people. And what thank they, the Jews, for the Bible which they received from them? Yea, what do the Gentiles mean? Do they remember the travails and the labors and the pains of the Jews and their diligence unto me in bringing forth salvation unto the Gentiles? I don't know, do they? <laughs> yeah, they ask a lot of open-ended questions without actually answering them. O ye Gentiles, have ye remembered the Jews, mine ancient covenant people? Nay, but ye have cursed them, and have hated them, and have not sought to recover them. But behold, I will return all these things upon your own heads, for I the Lord have not forgotten my people. Thou fool, what shall say? A Bible, we have got a Bible, and we need no more Bible. Have ye attained a Bible, save it were by the Jews? Oh, he's still going on about that. Now, do you reckon that Sidney Rigdon was the one that was verbose, or was Smitty the... Based on what I know about Rigdon, probably Rigdon. <laughs> Rigdon <Wow>. was weird. <laughs> At one point, he was dragged behind a cart with his head bouncing down the road. Oh, and after okay. that, he was never quite right again. No, he that doesn't be. surprise me somehow. Wow, that's horrible. <laughs> yeah, it was. Verse 7. Know ye not that there are more nations than one? Oh, duh. Know ye not that I, the Lord your God, have created all men, and I remember those who are upon the isles of the sea, and I rule in the heavens above, uh, above and in the earth beneath, and I bring forth my word unto the children of men, yea, even upon all the nations of the earth, question mark, <laughs> wherefore murmur ye, because that ye shall receive more of my word. Okay. Okay. Know ye not that the testimony of two nations is a witness unto you that I am God? And I remember one nation like unto another. Wherefore I speak the same words unto one nation like unto another. And when the two nations shall run together, the testimony of the two nations shall run together also. Oh, what the hell is he <laughs> talking about? He's basically saying Bible comes yeah, out. Of, <laughs> yeah, Bible's coming out of Jerusalem. Book of Mormon's coming out of America. That's two nations, uh, and that's proof that God. God cares for all of his people, but where's the scriptures from all the other people that existed at the time, huh? Doesn't mention here that, you know, these other nations he cares about in the Isles of the Sea, he didn't give them a book. He only gave them the two books. And the way he describes it is just so circuitous. Yeah. So I'm the God of everyone and everything, but uh, America can have a book and Jerusalem can have a book and that's it. Why does he say it like in a way that you can't understand? Because Joseph Smith is trying to sound prophetic and spiritual and... Uh... Well, Sidney Rigdon is. Yeah, yeah. Here you go, Sister Patience. He is about to answer your question, so pay attention. <laughs> and I do this that I may prove unto many that I am the same yesterday, today, and forever, and, <laughs> and I spake forth my words according to mine own pleasure. And because I have spoken one word, ye need not suppose that I cannot speak another, for my work is not yet finished, neither shall it be unto the end of man, neither from that time henceforth and forever. That's such a stupid sentence. Oh, I spoke one word, I can say another. Why even say that? When we were missionaries or even just growing up in the church and people would say to us, oh, why do you need more books? You know, God gave us the Bible and his word is final. We would literally share this chapter with them to try to justify. Oh, we should just basically keep motor mouthing it. Is that the idea? Yeah, yeah. Like, we would, you know, we would quote this. It's like, hey, there's more than one group of people, you know. Why wouldn't God speak to others? Mm, never mind that they don't accept, like, the Quran. Yeah. yeah. But whatever. <laughs> it's like, that's right. It did happen. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, there are more books, but, uh, yeah, we'll ignore those. Like Let's it. just focus on these two. Yeah. Wherefore, because that ye have a Bible, ye need not suppose that it contains all my words. Neither need ye suppose that I have not caused more to be written, for I command all men. You've got Nephi here using the word Bible, I know. Which, is a, which is a modern word. Oh, yeah. <laughs> 
And again, at the time this was written, like he's saying that there was one Bible for the Jews, but at the time this was written or supposedly written, um, there was multiple scrolls and, and, and books and stuff that they read. Like the Jews had a lot of books that they read from. It wasn't just one. There's Torah, the Tanakh, all that. <laughs> yeah. And so had, had Nephi actually existed, that you know, he would have known all of this at the time. But obviously Joseph Smith didn't. And he's just like, oh, yeah, that they had the Bible. We, we have the Book of Mormon, there's just the two. But it shows a clear lack of understanding of Judaism and, and, and the history. It's funny too because Nephi says that he is a Jew and he understands all of Isaiah and delights in it because he's a Jew and he understands these things and then goes on to not explain any of Isaiah and create his own new prophecy. For I command all men, both in the east and in the west and in the north, and in the south, and in the islands of the sea. He loves the islands of the sea. I think he just wants a holiday in Hawaii. Have you been to the Pacific <laughs> Islands? Oh, they are awesome. Oh. Yeah, I love the Pacific Islands. And what's funny is look at how many of the islands that he's talking about were preliterate. <laughs> yeah. They did not have written language. <laughs> yes. Oh, my God. Yeah, so he's basically saying these two books are for the people of the islands who can't read. That's right. His most... Astute audience are people that are illiterate. Mm. Anyway, keep going. <laughs> that they shall write the words which I speak unto them. For out of the books which shall be written, I will judge the world, every man, according to their works, according to that which is written. Would you like to read the last three verses, Brother Brandon? For behold, I shall speak unto the Jews, and they shall write it. And I shall also speak unto the Nephites, and they shall write it. And I shall also speak unto the other tribes of the house of Israel, which I have led away, and they shall write it. And I shall speak unto all nations of the earth, and they shall write it. And it shall come to pass that all Jews shall have the words of the Nephites, and the Nephites shall have the words of the Jews. And the Nephites and the Jews shall have the words of the lost tribes of Israel. And the lost tribes of Israel shall have the words of the Nephites and the Jews. He's just making sure he has every combo. <laughs> no, he's got everybody there. And it shall come to pass that my people, which are the house of Israel, shall be gathered home unto the lands of their possession. And my word shall also be gathered in one. And I will show and tell them unto them that fight against my word and against my people who are of the house of Israel, that I am God, and that I covenanted with Abraham, and that I would remember his seed forever. Ah, buff. There you go. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Brother Brandon, for helping us read that annoying passage from Sidney Rigdon. <laughs> well, and they get so hung up on that tribe of Israel crap. Such an important thing. It was very important to like Sidney Rigdon, Joseph Smith, Brigham Young, but they've kind of gone away from that. You still have your patriarchal blessing and you learn what tribe you're from. And, oh, here's a hint. If you're not a Native American, oh, you're from the tribe of Ephraim. Did you ever meet anybody in the church who wasn't Ephraim or Manasseh? I never did. It was usually, it was, it's usually white people, Ephraim, colored people, Manasseh. The absolute funniest one was somebody that had grown up Jewish, like, you know, definitely like could trace it back because the Jews are big on genealogy. <laughs> but, you know... That he's like... They just made up one for him that was completely different. Should have been tribe of Levi because he was a Cohen. What did they say? He was Ephraim or something. Yeah, Ephraim. Yeah, yeah. Because he was white. Right, yeah. right, right. But, but you can jump tribes. When you change religions, you can change tribes as well, apparently. <laughs> Never mind that it was very important to the Kohanim. You know, if people have the last name of Cohen, especially if they're Jewish, that's what it means. They were a priest, a Levite. So anyway, Brother Brandon had another great conversation. Thank you so much. Have a good uh, weekend. Thank you everybody for listening. Happy and in the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Happy amen. New Year from the Book of Boredom.